Today's Bible reading is from 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. This can be found on page 1197 of the Church Bibles. Here's what 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verses 1 to 8 says. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearance, appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep ahead in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept in faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but those who have longed for his appearing. Thank you so much, Gabby, for reading. Good morning, everyone. Please keep that uh, passage open. Can I just take a moment to say uh, thank you so much to those who've been praying about my sleep, uh, which has not been great over the last few weeks and has been impacting me. I slept last night for eight hours solid, which is almost unheard of. Um, the result of that was I was a bit sort of um, not, not quite in my usual routine this morning. I forgot to check my WhatsApp messages. But anyway, apologies to those who uh, 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 WhatsApp me and expected a reply this morning. But so there we are. I'll, I'll take the sleep. Um, hopefully the messages can wait. I wonder, will you join me as we pray once again and ask that God will do his work among us as we listen to his word. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture that is before us this morning. Uh, we all of us come under its authority, preacher included. And we pray, Lord, that this God-breathed, useful piece of Scripture will do its work among us this morning as the Holy Spirit does his work, teaching us, rebuking us, correcting us, training us in righteousness so that each one of us may be thoroughly equipped for every good work that you've prepared in advance for us to do. For the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you knew that the world was going to end in one hour's time, I wonder what would you do with the time left? Uh, somebody posted that question online a little while back on uh, Ask Reddit, not a forum I'm particularly familiar with, but uh, there we go, it's out there. Uh, here are some of the answers that people gave. End it sooner. Oh dear, that's a quite a pessimistic view, isn't it? Watch the news. Panic. Try to get away with as much evil as possible, just to see what it's like. 
There were three answers that made me smile. Cancel my dental appointment. <laughs> Just sit here. It was a tough day at school. Just as the world is about to end, hit snooze. Well, if we needed proof, those replies show, don't they, that most people don't take seriously the idea that the world is going to end anytime soon. But the Apostle Paul, in writing to this young church leader, Timothy, takes it very seriously indeed. I wonder, did you notice that word appearing in the first and last verses of our reading? Uh, so look with me, verse 1, in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. And then down to the end of verse 8, Paul speaks of all who have longed for or loved his appearing. Paul is speaking, of course, of the appearing of Christ Jesus. Uh, not his first appearing when he uh, was born as a baby in Bethlehem, but his second appearing, or his second coming, as we sometimes refer to it. That day to come in the future, the exact timing of which is known only to God the Father, not even to God the Son. That day when Jesus will return visibly in great power and glory to bring this present world to an end. And so the world is not going to end because of a climate disaster. It won't end because the war between Russia and Ukraine or between Israel and Hamas turns into a third world nuclear war. It won't end because the earth is hit by a massive comet or asteroid. Oh, any of these things may happen, but they won't be the ultimate cause of the end of the world. No, that is fully God's call. He decides the how, he decides the when. He is in complete control of the appearing of Christ Jesus and his eternal kingdom. Uh, those two appearings then are the uh, slices of bread, as Andrew Page likes to put it, and the verses in between are the sandwich filling. They show us what Paul considers to be the most important thing for Timothy and for us to focus on in view of this appearing of Jesus. And there is a real sense of urgency in Paul's words here because notice he says, end of verse 6, the time for my departure is near. His bags are packed. He's at the airport gate. He's ready to leave this world and to go and be with the Lord, which is better by far. So what is this charge that Paul gives Timothy then and us in view of this future appearing of Christ Jesus? Well, it's there for us very clearly in verse 2. Three words, preach the word. Preach the word. And that really is the main message of this little passage. It comes to me and to Chris Webb as ministers here at Above Bar Church. It comes to all of our leaders and preachers and staff team. But it also comes to every single believer here individually too. Wherever God has called you to be, Monday through to Saturday, preach the word. And we need to hear this word preachers going beyond the preaching and teaching that happens here on a Sunday or at other times throughout the week in the church building. The Greek word Paul uses here comes about 60 times in the New Testament, and it gets translated in at least three different ways. So yes, preach as in formal preaching as we're doing now, but it's often translated proclaim, so in that wider sense of announcing the good news about Jesus, something we're all called to do among our friends, family, neighbors, and colleagues. On at least one occasion, it's simply translated talk. So back in Mark chapter 1, Jesus, you may remember, heals a man with leprosy. And although Jesus tells him not to, Mark 1 verse 45, the man went out and began to talk. Same word translated here, preach. He went out and began to talk freely, spreading 
the news. Or as we might put it today, he went out and began to share freely his testimony of what Jesus did for him. Now you may say, yes, but today people really don't like to be preached at. Preaching is just something of a previous generation. And it's true that that term is used mostly quite negatively today, isn't it? That was a bit preachy, people say. Well, don't start preaching at me. Hmm, she never practices what she preaches. But even in many churches now, I find that preaching is not always talked about or received positively. Oh, I wish we could have less preaching and more worship, people sometimes say. Newsflash. Preaching and teaching and listening to preaching and teaching is worship. Brothers and sisters, there is no better way that you or I can worship the Lord Jesus this morning than by listening attentively to his word, taking it to heart and doing what it says. That is worship. And Ed, our worship pastor, agrees with me on this, just to mention that. Not because I've told him he has to, by the way. No, no, we talk about this in the times that we meet together once a month normally, uh, We've even been thinking that next year we might do a whole teaching series together on whole life worship. So watch this space. You know, if we're not taking God's word seriously and doing what it says, then our song worship actually comes with a very serious health warning. Away with the noise of your songs, says the Lord through his prophet Amos, to a rebellious people who were failing to act with justice and mercy, failing to do what is right. You see, using our lips to sing songs with hearts that are far away from God is hypocrisy, religious acting. We've all done it, but God hates it. He wants us to be authentic and real with him, to come as we are when we gather together on a Sunday. Well, I'm now in danger of preaching on worship rather than preaching, so let's get back to our passage where Paul gives us three key reasons why we should all be fully committed to preaching, teaching, proclaiming, talking the word, sharing our testimony, and indeed to listening to and obeying the word of God. First reason, focusing on verses one and two, Jesus will judge the living and the dead. As Paul gives Timothy this serious charge, this urgent command in verse two, you notice he does so in the presence of two witnesses. And you could not get more trustworthy, more reliable, more powerful, more significant witnesses than this in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I give you this charge, preach the word. We often speak of Jesus, don't we, as being gentle, loving, merciful, compassionate, forgiving. And of course, he is all of those things and so much more. We love to think of Jesus as being our savior, the savior of the world, and of course he is. At his first appearing, the Apostle John tells us God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. But as his second appearing, Jesus will come, yes, to finally and fully save all of those who are trusting in him, but he'll also appear as the judge of all the earth, to judge those still alive when he returns and to judge those already dead. Now, some of you may say, well, I don't really like to think of Jesus as judge. Sounds very severe, very Old Testament, not the kind of God that I want to believe in. Really? So when you hear of children 
even babies and toddlers being kidnapped or slaughtered or bombed in the Middle East. Your heart doesn't long for justice. When you think of the terrible things done to people in Ukraine or the violent oppression many Russian people face, you don't cry out that God would come to judge and put things right. When you learn in this country of elderly people being abused in care homes or children abused by religious leaders, doesn't make you angry so that you call out to God to act and bring people to account? Or even on a personal level, when you've been hurt or sinned against or mistreated, isn't there even a little part of you that wants God to come and put things right, sort out that person, to judge between you and the one who's caused you pain? I think deep down, most of us do like to believe in the God who judges, even if sometimes we focus way too much on him judging others, forgetting that we too have said, done, and thought many things that are wrong, hurtful, and worthy of judgment. Psalmist writes of the God of the Bible, Psalm 89, verse 14, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. And that psalm speaks of and points forward to Jesus, the image of the invisible God. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne, the throne that Jesus will sit on to judge the living and the dead at his second appearing. I do like to think of a God who will judge who will put right every wrong, who will bring justice where there is none, who will hold people to account. But you know, as I think about him, I recognize that I need a savior to be saved from his judgment on my life. And so do you. And wonderfully, that's what 2 Timothy has been teaching us about, isn't it? If you remember chapter 1, we learned about grace. That is God's undeserved kindness and favor. This grace, we were told, chapter 1, verse 10, has now been revealed through the appearing. That is the first appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Do you want to know why Chris and I are both so committed to preaching the word on a Sunday and to taking every opportunity to minister the word in other ways throughout the week? Because we want everyone that passes through the doors of this church building that we encounter Monday through to Saturday in different ways elsewhere. We want them to be prepared for the appearing of Jesus as judge of the living. We can't do anything about the dead, but we can preach the Holy Scriptures to the living, which, remember, chapter 3, verse 15, are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. I was chatting to... Uh, an Uber driver, uh, a few weeks back, I was just going to a post-op assessment for my cataracts, and uh, this uh, Uber driver was a Muslim, and we started chatting. He found out I was a, a minister uh, in a church, and he started asking me a few questions. And one of his questions was this. Why is it that so many church buildings in Southampton, and indeed across the UK, are now former churches? Uh, and they're actually restaurants or cafes. One's a Hindu temple, isn't it, in, in Southampton? Or, or they're kind of you know, holiday homes on Airbnb, whatever it might be. And I said to him, well, look, I can't give you an answer for every single one, but I would be pretty confident that at some point in that church's history, they stopped preaching the word. They stopped taking the gospel seriously. And then we have nothing to offer, absolutely nothing. I love that we're committed to social action here at Above Bar Church. I love the fact that we care for the poor, 
the alienated, the rejected, the refugee, the asylum seeker, to all those that other people turn their backs on. And please, God, that we will do more of that over these coming years, not less, that we'll actually ourselves individually give sacrificially to support that work. But as we bless people by doing good, let's remember that social action prepares the ground for salvation, but only the word of God can make people wise for salvation. Only that can make them ready to meet Jesus as judge. So please pray for Chris, for Callum, for me and others in this preaching task that we're able to devote quality time to it among all the other demands of ministry. As we pray for you in our shared task of proclaiming, talking, sharing our testimonies among neighbors in schools, universities and colleges, in our place of work, among our unsaved family and friends. You may feel like, I can't do that. I just don't have the courage. Nor do I. But you know, the Holy Spirit is able to give us supernatural courage that we don't possess in ourselves. We can pray, Lord, give me your Holy Spirit so that when I open my mouth, even with fumbling words, I may boldly proclaim Jesus as Lord. Notice the balance and care that is needed in this ministry. Uh, We're to be prepared in season and out of season, so when we feel like it and when we don't, when people want to listen and when they don't, when preaching and proclaiming and talking about Jesus is a joy and when it's not. And notice Paul urges Timothy to correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Only correction or rebuke with no encouragement crushes hope. And I know a number of us have probably sort of experienced ministries like that where it's always correcting, always rebuking, and it's just so harsh and wearying, isn't it? But all encouragement without correction or rebuke, well, that tends to produce spoiled children who don't take sin seriously. Uh, Paul is picking up here on the language of chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So so God's word is a little bit like one of those um, cordless, um, multi-purpose power tools, you know, that you can buy with all the different attachments. The idea is that with one tool, you can do all kinds of uh, DIY jobs around the house or wherever it may be. Not that I have a clue about this. Um, I'm the most unpractical, impractical person that you can possibly imagine. I wouldn't know how to use one. But by God's grace, I do know something about God's word. And I have seen many, many times how a single passage of Scripture preached effectively, not simply with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction, the same Word of God can do all kinds of different things supernaturally in my life and in the lives of others. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. Uh, Someone a few months back shared this quote with me. I don't know where it comes from, but talking about preaching as being um, broadcasting. So the preacher broadcasts God's word in a sort of very broad way, but the Holy Spirit narrowcasts. I find that really helpful. The Holy Spirit is at work this morning, narrowcasting this word, bringing it to bear into our hearts and into our different situations in a way that I couldn't possibly do through my words alone. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. But we do need God's grace and wisdom to teach, proclaim, talk. Notice, with great patience and careful instruction. I am not the most patient of people. And sometimes I preach my heart out and then I get discouraged because the next week there is an instant transformation. 
or, or there's not a flood of people coming to faith. But then the Lord has to gently remind me, well, that's not really how it works in your life, Jonathan, is it? And it's not. Like the very first disciples, I'm often hard of heart, slow to learn. True for all of us, isn't it? takes time for God's word to take root in our hearts and impact our lives. Yes, of course, there can be times like in, uh, early on in Acts where sort of 3,000 people come to faith in one time, but that is not the usual pattern. Not today. Certainly not in this country because our hearts are hard. And it takes time for the Holy Spirit to convict us, to drive his word home, to transform us by the renewing of our minds. So preach the word first because Jesus will judge the living and the dead, but preach it secondly, verses three to five, because people will not put up with healthy teaching. Preach the word, Timothy, with great patience and careful instruction. Why? Well, verse three, four, because the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. That simply means healthy teaching. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They'll turn away from the truth and turn aside to myths or to to made-up stories. Now, this second reason seems a bit odd, doesn't it? Timothy, I charge you to preach the word of God because in time, people won't want to listen to it. Not if it's healthy teaching. They won't listen. So preach it. Bizarre, isn't it? See, they much prefer teaching that suits their own desires. They'll find many teachers who tell them exactly what they want to hear. So, for example, to tell them that if they have enough faith, well, they'll always be healthy, wealthy, and happy. Or to tell them God really doesn't mind who you sleep with, as long as it's loving and doesn't harm anyone. Or simply to tell them funny stories that will make them laugh, but never challenge or change them. Uh, Today, of course, we don't need to physically gather a great number of teachers around us, do we, to tell us what our itching ears to hear? We don't even need to go to a conference in the States and listen to celebrity preachers. Oh, if, if, we, uh, if we have a, a, an Amazon account, an internet connection at home, well, we don't even need to leave home. I can order any book from any author whose teaching might suit my desires. Or on YouTube, I can stream any teaching from pretty much any church in any country, whether, it's not, whether or not it's truly biblical, healthy teaching, and of course with not a clue as to the preacher's lifestyle. This is why it is so important, you see, to be fully committed to a local church, where to some extent at least you get to know the leaders and the preachers, to observe their character, to see how they behave and speak and interact with others over a period of time, to watch if they actually do, with some consistency, practice what they preach. Consider if their teaching is truly biblical, consistently healthy, if it's leading the congregation into increasingly godly living, if if it's helping them to love Jesus more, if it's exalting Jesus, not the preacher. Well, what are we to do when people wander from the truth? When they find teachers who will gently scratch or tickle their itching ears, tell them what they want to hear. What do you do if your kids are not very attentive in your GSMA class or the teens find Bible teaching boring? What if the people you share with your faith with just aren't interested and turn away? Well, verse 5. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Remember chapter 2? Ministry will be really hard at times. I'll be called to suffer like a good soldier of Christ Jesus, strengthened by the grace that is in him. And second half of verse 5. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. 
I used to think that instruction to do the work of an evangelist was, was a kind of a new idea. It was something that Timothy was not a natural evangelist and needed to be encouraged to do that work as well as preaching. I'm sure there is some truth in that. But as I've reflected on this passage in the last couple of weeks, I'm not so sure Paul intends it to be a new idea in this passage. Because preaching the word is to do the work of an evangelist. I don't know how many of you here this morning are not yet trusting in Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord. And so are not yet prepared to meet him as your judge. I'm sure there will be some. There may well be many. And so by preaching this word this morning... I am doing the work of an evangelist. When the church gathers on a Sunday, when we encounter people in different situations, Monday through Saturday, do the work of an evangelist. Preach the word. And keep your head, says Paul, in all situations. That phrase, keep your head, uh, translates a word that can mean self-controlled, clear-headed. It can also mean sober, not drunk. So yes, Timothy, in my early letter, I said, use a little wine for your stomach and frequent illnesses, but be careful with that. Don't turn to drink when ministry gets hard or to anything else that might give you mind fog. I've only lost my head once in my first five months or so in this role. And in a large, uh, complex church like this, I take that as a win. I, I don't mean I turn to drink, by the way, just in case you're wondering what on earth has happened. But... Um, now, a few Saturdays ago, I had a mini meltdown. It was an especially hard week, wasn't sleeping brilliantly, had a few ministry discouragements, a few tricky pastoral situations, and it all just got a little bit too much just on that Saturday morning. But, you know, Chris Webb and Paul Alcott came around and they prayed with me. I was preaching at East on the Sunday morning and the East site team at the end of the service gathered around and prayed. They wouldn't even let me ask how their lives were. And no, this morning we're praying for you. And with the support of others, to use the words of King Nebuchadnezzar, I lifted my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored and I was back to preaching the word. Now, why am I sharing that? Well, because that's the culture I want us to build here at Above Bar Church. Truly authentic community where if one of you lose your head, for whatever reason, we don't judge but we gather around and we pray for you and we encourage you and we help to restore you so that you too can continue to discharge all the duties of whatever ministry the Lord has entrusted to you. Timothy, preach the word. Do the work of an evangelist. First, because Jesus will judge the living and the dead. Secondly, because people will not put up with healthy teaching. And finally and briefly, verses 6 to 8, because Jesus will award a crown of righteousness. Jesus will award a crown of righteousness. Why is Paul so concerned that Timothy continues to preach the word, even when people don't want to listen? Well, verse 6, for because I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. Paul's time as a preacher is nearly done, and he wants to ensure that the baton of proclaiming the gospel this pattern of sound teaching doesn't get dropped, doesn't get distorted, even if people do turn away from the truth. And because of that, this is why we have the gospel as it is today. But as Paul thinks about his coming death, his conscience is clear, his mood positive. Verse 7 reads more literally, The good fight I have fought, the race I have finished, the faith I have kept. That'd be a great thing to have on your gravestone when you die. 
quite a lot of letters, so it might be quite expensive. I'm going to save up for it, I think, put something in my will. Because I would love this to be true of me. At the end of my ministry here, at the end of my life, the good fight I have fought, the race I have finished, the faith I have kept. But for that to happen for me, for that to happen for you, we need to keep being committed to preaching and listening to the Word of God. Paul returns to the two of those pictures he used back in chapter 2. Remember the single-minded soldier and the rule-keeping athlete? And I think he wants to encourage Timothy and us to keep going when things are tough, when we are perhaps tempted for whatever reason to lose our heads. Look, he says, my battle is nearly over and Jesus will ensure that I am victorious. My race is nearly run. I can see the finish and Jesus will get me across the line. And even if many have departed from the truth, says Paul, Jesus will enable me to keep the faith. Not to change the gospel, to make it more attractive or less demanding. And strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, you'll get there too, Timothy. And brothers and sisters, so will you. And so will I. Even if perhaps Jesus has to drag us across the finish line. Like Olympic champion uh, Alistair Brownlee had to do, remember with his brother Johnny, dramatic end to the triathlon World Series finale, finale Mexico 2016. He literally had to take him across the line. And you know, the race Paul has in mind is not a 100-meter sprint. No, the Christian life is more like a triathlon or a marathon. At times, it can be grueling. That is the normal Christian life. We need to stay in the race. Keep going, not give up. The Olympic Games in ancient times, the reward for winning a race was not a gold medal, but a crown made from a twisted wild olive tree branch. And that helps explain, I think, verse 8. Now, that is, as I look to the finish line, says Paul, there is in store for me not a gold medal, but the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. The crown of righteousness. Awarded not because of Paul's own righteousness, but because he trusts Jesus and finishes the race. Awarded because Jesus, of course, wore a crown of thorns and was crucified in order to pay the penalty for your and my lack of righteousness. So that any one of us here this morning Whoever I am, wherever I've been, whatever I may have done, I can receive freely this righteousness given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Awarded notice not only to apostles, not only to preachers and evangelists and leaders and upfront people, but also to all those who serve humbly and faithfully in the background, in hidden ways, fulfilling all the duties of your God-given ministry and quietly longing for the appearing of Christ Jesus. Do you know, if you keep trusting Jesus, the very same crown of righteousness awarded to Paul will also be awarded to you. His crown won't be bigger. Your crown won't be smaller. Perfect righteousness awarded to all who trust in Jesus, not because of anything that I have ever done, but because of what he has done for me on the cross, the righteous dying for the unrighteous to bring us to God.
Let's pray. When you take a moment in the quietness to make your own personal response to God. If the Holy Spirit has spoken to you this morning, now is a great time. Just silently, it can be a very quick prayer. But say, Lord, help me not to lose this moment, not to lose what you've said to me, to listen to your voice, to respond in faith. Let's uh, just have a moment of quiet. Father, we acknowledge this morning that there is a day coming when Christ Jesus will appear again. Yes, to save those of us who are trusting in him, but also to judge the living and the dead. I want to pray for everybody here, Lord, in this building, for all of those that we know, those that we work with, those that we encounter and above bar as we leave this building, those in our families and friends who do not yet know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Oh, Father, would you please give us the Holy Spirit afresh. Give us that boldness that doesn't come naturally to most of us, that we will be devoted and committed to preach the word, to proclaim the good news, to share the gospel, to share our testimony. And Father, we pray that in your goodness and your mercy, it may please you to add many to our number here and across Southampton, throughout the UK and around the world, many who will recognize Jesus as Savior and Lord and therefore not be fearful of meeting him as judge. We ask this in his precious name and for his glory. Amen.